0: You know, some of the looks on the kids' faces were like, like, are you serious, you know? And the parents were like, this is awesome. Like, you're gonna make him get a haircut, you know? You know, really establishing those routines because those routines are going to create consistency and comfort for our players. Once I get into the into the house, I am now dad. Like, I am 100% dad.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club podcast. I'm your host, Max Price. I think I might be accidentally turning the High School Coaches Club into the Iowa Baseball Coaches Club. And to be honest with you, that really wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because for some reason, Iowa just produces high-quality coaches. You can go back and listen to episode 10 with Casey Klunder from Waverly Shell Rock. He gives you a preview of how he turned that program into a perennial powerhouse when he took over at the age of 20. You can go back even further to episode six and listen to Michael Barda from Johnston High School, where he has won multiple state championships and just flat out knows how to win. In this episode, we get John Fitzpatrick from Indianola High School. As you probably guessed, it's also in Iowa. Fitzpatrick is the new head baseball coach there, so he's in his very first season. Before that, he was the longtime head coach at Martinsdale St. Mary's a school that you may be familiar with when it reeled off 88 consecutive wins. That was back when Fitzpatrick was an assistant coach. So Fitzpatrick is going to take us through what he's doing right now to build a program that he just took over. Hasn't coached a single day yet. You get kind of the background of the COVID restrictions that are going on, and you get a really fascinating conversation. But it goes even deeper than that. Fitzpatrick is also a certified mental performance coach so a big part of this conversation is going to focus around how teams coaches and you in particular can help your program develop core principles to be successful to kind of bridge the gap it's funny because I think a lot of us can relate we step into a program we know our vision we know where we want to go we know where we are now and we really struggle to get those two things connected to each other And John Fitzpatrick is going to give you some ideas of how you can make that happen. So without further ado, it's a great honor to welcome on John Fitzpatrick, the new head baseball coach at Indianola High School in Indianola, Iowa. All right, we're live here with John Fitzpatrick from Indianola High School. John, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Max. Well, can you uh, kind of walk
1: us back through your journey? Uh, Maybe start back with your playing days in high school to where you are now. It's a pretty cool story.
0: Yeah, so I, I grew up in eastern Iowa, a town of about 6,000, and, you know, played everything. Uh, Four-sport athlete, loved every sport that I was in. You know, that was always my favorite sport, the, the one that I was in. And it's kind of crazy, my my senior year in high school, I was the only senior that was on the track team. Uh, just kind of crazy to think about now, but um, especially, you know, we graduated with 150 kids, not big. Um, but to have one male senior um wild. You know, I then proceeded to go go on to uh a division 3 school and played football and baseball there for a year and then hung up the football cleats at that point and and just stuck to to baseball. I was lucky enough after my sophomore year, uh, I got into coaching back at the school that I uh that I graduated from, coached there one year and then I fell into a a really good position uh, as a junior in college, uh, as an assistant coach. And um, I always knew I wanted to, to be a teacher and graduated two years later, um, started teaching elementary education and went back, got my master's in educational administration, got that for, for the sole purpose of having the keys to unlock the doors if those opportunities ever presented themselves. And, and sure enough, uh, kind of a crazy story. Uh, ended up being an elementary principal for a year and I'm now a, a assistant um, high school AD in Indianola.
1: I was just gonna say you, you wear a lot of hats and I was gonna you know mention the assistant AD and being a baseball coach and and everything that goes with that and then you toss in their principal elementary or elementary principal for a while there too.
0: Yeah absolutely Um that was that was one honestly I like I said I had the Got the, got the administration degree. Didn't know if that's what I really wanted to get into, but at least in Iowa, if you just get a degree, you move over on the pay scale. So I was like, "Well, that just makes sense to <laughs> me. Let's get this done as early as possible." And it was it was actually like right at the beginning of the year um, in September. The school year had already started, and there's four elementary schools in in Indianola, and one of the elementary principals resigned, and. It was a Friday. I'm teaching third grade at the time. I taught first grade for six years. I'm teaching third grade at the time and get a knock on the door and it's, and it's my principal. He's like, Hey, uh, you know, assistant superintendent needs to, to, needs to talk to you. And I'm like rattling through my head. Like, man, what did I do? Like what's going wrong? Not to mention it was like movie day. Like our kids are in a movie day. So I'm like wearing sweatpants, you know, like (laughs) just not looking good. I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. And I get in there and they kind of explain the situation that, you know, we had a elementary principal resign and, you know, we want you to take over this building. They moved my principal over to this other building. We want you to take over for the rest of the year. And I, like, where your heads just spinning at that point, right? It, it was awesome. It was an amazing experience. Um, you know, obviously, as a coach, we all know that we are leaders to, to young men um, or women, you know, depending what you're coaching. But to be able to be thrown into this this leadership role now with people who are twice my age in, in some cases um, was a complete new experience for me. And I learned so much uh, from from the other administrators, um, you know just just how to, how to deal with parents and, and not in a negative way, in a positive way as well. you know, working with PTOs, um, but also talking to and, and just listening to, um, disgruntled parents. I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned was that ability just to listen, and you know sometimes that's all some people need is you know just to vent, right? And if, as that as that person, um, as we all know in coaching as well, sometimes they just need to vent and they listen and then they just feel better, right? Um, and I think that's definitely something that I've I've taken from the administration side um, when I go onto the baseball field as well. Um, and, ju- and just respect everybody else's opinion. Um, you know, perspective is reality. And, you know, if their perspective is that, you know, they their kid was not treated well, well, that is their reality. You know, we don't have to agree with it. and We don't, we don't have to be on the, the same understanding as them. But we do need to understand where they're coming from and then, you know, meet them halfway, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think that experience is probably really important to have had that and had the ability to work with uh not only like you were mentioning the adults in the building, but then also the parents and how everything that goes into that. Because I think a lot of I don't know if a lot of coaches are scared of, of parents, but there's we always hear horror stories. And so anybody who's thinking about getting into coaching or maybe as an assistant coach, who's, who's considering the jump to become a head coach, like there's always that fear in the back of your mind of like, yeah, but what about the parents? You know, they, they could be, they, it could be really rough. And I think you're right. As I've, as I've been in my coaching journey, it seems that it usually is just, they they need to be able to vent and get it off their chest. And then usually once that happens, It's like a a light switch clicks and all of a sudden the relationship between you and the parent is all of a sudden like way better.
0: Absolutely. You know, most of the times in those situations, just allowing them to talk, allowing them to to get that off their chest at the end, there'll be times where I don't say anything, right? I say nothing on the phone and they're like, thank you so much for listening. Like, I really appreciate your time. And I'm like, I didn't do anything, (laughs) but but that's all they needed, right? They just needed somebody to listen. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, Yeah, for (laughs) sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That's hilarious. Well, I love it. No, I think that's, that's a really valuable experience. And I don't know how many, it's got to be a small amount of, of high school coaches who uh, have also spent time as principals, let alone at the elementary school level, which kind of, um, I don't know, exposes you to a lot of other things. Are you still teaching at the
0: elementary level? I am not. So it is a full time assistant AD gotcha. okay. uh, role. Um, so I I take care. I'm like head middle school AD, assistant high school is, is my role. Um, but you know my my favorite thing. You know, once again, I taught first grade for six years, third grade for three years, and I love teaching first grade because I would get a kid that would come in that knew like five sight words, and then by the end of those nine or ten months, they're they're reading small chapter books. So just being able to see that growth was absolutely amazing. And that's the one thing that I absolutely love about coaching high school baseball. Um, I actually just switched um, coaching positions, but I was at a small 1A school in Iowa, a public school, Martinsdale, St. Mary's. It's two towns, Martinsdale and St. Mary's. And the tradition long before I got there was... Was just through the roof, right? This is a very well known um, small school baseball program in the state. And we would have eighth graders all the way through 12th graders. So in, in Iowa, we do play high school baseball. And once kids graduate eighth grade, if you will, they can play high school baseball. So, especially at a small school, there are many years where we have an eighth grader or two, or sometimes more, playing varsity baseball for us. And being able to see a kid's growth over those five years or most other coaches, you know, over a four year period is absolutely amazing. And I just switched um, from Martinsville St. Mary's. I'm now Indianola's head coach where, where I've always taught and am now, you know, an administration there, but that's, that's a four a school. So, you know, one of the, it's the biggest classification in Iowa. And I I want that same feel here in Indianola that I had at Martinsdale of just being able to see the progress of a kid for those four years. So I'm going to have my hand in, you know, the freshman practices and their development in the off season, just as much as I will of of the varsity program, because there's something special about being able to see that growth. And I definitely take that from, from my time, you know, teaching elementary.
1: I feel you on that, I, my first teaching job, I, I took a private school job. It was I, I graduated from, I, I always call it teacher school, like for my master's program in 2012. and it was during in Oregon it was during a like kind of a big educational budget crisis. so there weren't like there were no jobs basically. So I ended up taking one in uh, this small little private school and I taught two classes of middle school social studies. and then to fill my schedule, I taught uh, uh, elementary well, actually pre-K through eighth grade PE classes. And I had no PE knowledge, no <laughs> little kid knowledge, or anything. <laughs> and what a learning experience. But you're right, like the in the little kids, like seeing how quickly they can learn things and how like enjoyable that is. And then transferring that and trying to do similar things with the bigger guys a, a, in baseball and other sports is a really cool experience. And so now you're at Indianola as the head baseball coach, where like you mentioned before, you'd already kind of been had your feet there for a while. And so we're kind of catching you at a cool point where you are actively in your first season right so your first I guess first off season. did you start with them in September when did you end up getting that head coaching job
0: yeah so it, it was like the third week of September uh, when I when I took over and in Iowa we have a three-month dead period uh, put in place so we can't we can't have any work with kids no contact with kids for October November December mm-hmm. and um, you know it's smart they're just kind of seeing the way that that some coaches would abuse arms and, you know, kids, kids do need that time off. So I absolutely understand. So we can't actually start up offseason stuff until January one. Um, but our season doesn't start until practice doesn't start till the first week of May. So you know we do get which is once again, unique to most people, we do get four months of offseason work before we're getting on the field. So um, I actually haven't worked with the players um, at all, you know, being in the building um, I've met them and, and know them on that. end, but um, you know, haven't, haven't even got any of the off season work in, but um really looking forward to, to that opportunity.
1: Yeah. It's one of the unique things about Iowa high school baseball. That's so cool is that they, they have their, you guys have your season during the summer. And so like you mentioned earlier that you started coaching while you were in college, didn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So it just lends itself to this really unique situation where, uh, and you're not the first to, I've talked to Iowa coaches who have started their baseball coaching career while still like actively playing college baseball. And it's just kind of a, this interesting thing. And then you mentioned, you know, the season basically ends and then the next school year starts up a little while later. And so you have that dead period. So you took over in September. So what are the kind of first steps that you really wanted to make sure you did, or maybe you're actively doing to kind of prepare yourself and your team for when you are able to start off season workouts.
0: Yeah. So, uh, the biggest thing was I'm moving from one assistant coach to five assistant coaches. So, um, that's, that is definitely, you know, a big change for me. And, uh, just, I, we've been meeting at least, uh, once every couple of weeks, um, as, as a coaching staff and just going over philosophies and, Especially mental game work, um, something I feel like I, I bring to the table, and and just making sure that we are all on the same page. And you know, how are we going to implement routines, um, for instance, right within our off-season work, and and what does the that four months leading up to the season look like? And you know, what are my expectations for for those guys? So that's been that's been a big uh, big part of it. Um, you know, being being the assistant AD, I do have my hand in, in scheduling and um, obviously I have a really good relationship with the, with the head AD. And, and he was just kind of like, Hey, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to, but if you want to go and get games, uh, feel free. So, you know, just, just kind of getting some of those things taken care of and um, that that's kind of been it. It'll be really nice to, to be able to start up, um, you know, we're in my philosophy is, is right in line with drive lines. And just being able to start some of that velocity development and proper arm care um, within this program, I think will be beneficial as well.
1: Yeah, we we use quite a bit of I hate saying we use drive line stuff. We we, we yeah, subscribe yeah. to drive lines protocols, I guess I'll say. Um so when you took over, uh you already had your, you know, your feet with Indian Old High School quite a bit already. So it wasn't you're not necessarily an outside hire, but in terms of the baseball program, I suppose you were. So when you took over and you've got the head coach job now, were the assistant coaches that are there, were they already in place? Are these guys that you hired? How did that transition kind of go?
0: Yeah, that was an interesting transition for me. Um, So like I said, I've gone from one assistant coach every year and I've had some really, really good assistant coaches. But for me, it was like I, I had the young guy. I had the young guy that was in college for a couple of years and they're now getting jobs and they're going off, whether that's that's in education and teaching or they're just getting an actual job right They're out of college. So I get a guy for a couple of years. Uh, I actually had one of my assistants who was one of my former players. Um, he signed with the Rockies. So he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to uh, coach this year because I've got bigger things like Ethan. Yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> go, a good deal. you Go do that. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I didn't really know what to expect uh, going into to that situation, and there was a, an assistant coach. So at Indianola, they've had two head coaches in the last thirty-five years. Hmm. Um, so I'm the, the third in you know thirty-five years, which is which is awesome to have that stability. Um, one of the assistant coaches was there for like thirteen years, and and he had applied for uh, for the head coaching job as well, and. And then there was a younger assistant coach who was like, like head sophomore and the varsity coach. And, you know, I I honestly had to make a decision of, you know, whoever I picked, it was probably the other one probably wasn't going to be coming back. And, um, you know, for, for what I needed and, and, you know, for, for the program and just kind of blend in better Uh, the the pitching coach and kind of those those responsibilities fit in more with with where I needed to go and you know once I had that conversation with the with the veteran assistant um which was going back that was that was a crucial conversation right that was a tough conversation to to have um but going back like that that time as or this time as an administrator really helped having that conversation um but, you know, he understood and he, he wasn't upset with me. Um, but after a couple of days, he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on and, you know, potentially I'm sure he'll coach somewhere else as well. So um, so that was interesting. Um, and then we had a, a younger a freshman coach who was in college and he's like, you know, I'm not going to come back. So all in all, I needed to go and really replace almost the entire staff. Um, but it was nice because I was able to hire um, my two assistants or pardon me, my assistant from Martinsdale. And we actually had a, um, a that volunteered for us at Martinsdale last year. And those two um, are, are on board and they're going to go both coach um, at Indianola with me as well. So um, it was definitely an interesting process, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the staff that we have put together.
1: Yeah, I think back to mine, when I took over at South Salem High School, I had been uh, an assistant coach at the rival North Salem High School just down the road, and so they they brought me in as an outside hire, and there was already uh, seven, I think one, two, three, four, five, yeah, seven coaches who were already kind of in place at the freshman JV and varsity levels as, as head coaches and assistants, and I was fortunate in that none of them had wanted the head job. And so I wasn't walking into a situation where there was any sort of you know there wasn't anyone who wanted to do what I was coming in to do, which I think worked out really nicely. But it can it can be a an interesting experience when you walk into a place who has that has kind of established coaches that have been there for a while, and you're coming in and you 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 have your vision of where you want the program to go, and it's nothing against the people who were there before, but it it might not always line up with where they were. And I I've said it before, but it's the the value of assistant coaches is so important. And if everybody everybody kind of needs to be flying the plane the same direction, and you can have differences of opinions, and as long as you're able to work them out, it all works out great. But uh, good assistant coaches are probably, in my opinion, the, the most important aspect of any successful high school sports program.
0: Oh, 100%. I think you see that, I mean, whether it's high school or whether it's college, um, you know, yesterday Alabama. You know, uh, Nick Saban can't yeah. coach, and they just they just go off and they roll out uh, Auburn. And and you know, you kind of hear Saban talking afterwards, and he's like, Steve Sarkisian had everything that we needed to do, you know. And he's like, it was kind of surreal for me just to sit back and watch these guys do their jobs. But you know, when when you set that in place and you're you're able to you know trust those people that you're with. Um, there's, you can almost sit back and just let them run the show and you're just kind of the the manager, if you will. So, uh, they, they are absolutely important. And, um, I don't know what it's like in Oregon, but especially in Iowa in the summer, it is very tough to find good assistant coaches, um, cause who wants to give up their summer? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that just makes it really difficult. So when you get them, uh, you treasure them and, and, um, you know, just, just show them how much you appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's hard enough because you're asking them to, in many cases, work for peanuts and put in, you know, over the course of a year, so many hours that they're, I mean, they're not, none of us really getting paid for the actual amount of time we put into this thing. So you're asking these assistant coaches to come in and work all these hours, all this, all this stuff. And then on top of that in Iowa, like you said, to then also give up your summer, like that's a huge that's a huge ask here in Oregon. Like, I'll, we'll we'll have spring baseball, of course, for our high school team, and then we'll also have a summer team. And it usually ends up being me and one other coach, and the rest of our guys go off and do whatever they do, which is great and and it's awesome. But I cannot imagine for the life of me trying to convince guys to then stay all summer and coach coach our full high school season this summer. You have to have really committed people.
0: Absolutely, you know, and you're know, going back to you know the the peanuts pay. So when this COVID happened in March, you know we're we're having a lot of talks within our administration. Of there were some schools that were they just stopped paying their coaches. Well, they're yeah. they're not coaching the the spring track season or the soccer season or you know if baseball and softball get canceled. They're not coaching those, so we're not going to pay them. And you know we were lucky enough that our superintendent, you know, noticed he's he's a former coach as well and a Hall of Fame basketball player in Iowa and. And he just he understood that, you know, coaches put in a lot more than just the three or four months in season. You know, it is a full year uh, responsibility. And, you know, just this things like in the in the classroom or in the hallways and checking up on kids' grades and you know, things that a lot of people don't understand and don't see um, that help develop that culture. And and he was from the get-go was like, No, we will be paying our coaches, you know, regardless of if this thing get shut down for the next six months or you know whatever the case was so you know our spring coaches didn't didn't coach a a competition or a soccer game or um, anything and they still got paid now and and I in baseball uh, we actually started up June 1 and for a little while we were like the only thing going on in the United Mm -hmm. States you know there was no pro baseball there was nothing um so that was that was pretty cool that that we were able to do that but
1: um, yeah it's true just showing it was just you guys (laughs) yeah we had a we had a similar situation i mean obviously i think most of the country did we got shut down for our baseball program uh i think four days before our first game would have happened in the spring and so that was kind of my wife's first question was like well you're still getting paid for all that right because you put in when you've been working since September, you've been doing, you know, grade checks. And you've been like you said, talking to guys in the hallway and checking in on guys and then workouts. And then on top of that, all the fundraising that goes into everything. And our our school district opted to pay everybody. And then they've already committed for this year, just like you guys. And what they've kind of gone after it is, they're calling it care and connection. And so uh, even if we don't have a season, we are just expected to keep doing what we always do and, and find ways to connect with our kids and, and just show care and connection with them. And um, so I, I know that you're very fortunate and I'm very fortunate and I know not all high school coaches might have maybe not have leadership in their districts or schools that maybe see the value in coaches outside of what we do on the actual field during competition. But there's so much that goes into coaching that maybe people who have never done it or maybe didn't play team sports, maybe they don't maybe they don't get it. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I'm feeling very fortunate that you guys are, are still going to get paid regardless and, and that me and my staff will as well.
0: No, absolutely. That's that's huge. Um, and just just having because a lot of times, you know, at least here, you know, it, it is up to the school board. So the superintendent could go tell the school board that, you know, here's what I'm recommending that we still pay. And the school board can come back and be like, no, nah, we're we're going to save money. And this is one way how. So yeah. um, it is it is tough.
1: Yeah. Over the over the culmination of every single sports program, they could probably save a pretty good amount of money. And so. It is neat to see. I, I've, you're not the first that I've talked to who have mentioned that that um, many school districts or school boards, like you mentioned, are still seeing the value in what coaches bring to the bring to the table, even even in in times that are so crazy like now, where we we may very well not play a single baseball game. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see.
0: Yeah you know, my, one of my good buddies just got a teaching job. He he switched jobs this year and he just got one in the Des Moines public um, school at one of their high schools, He's a strength and conditioning coach. And they Des Moines public um, did not have any uh, baseball. They shut it down. They don't have any baseball, softball. Uh, They shut down all fall sports as well. Um, While obviously we, other schools have been playing they've decided just to shut everything down and, They've been remote 100 percent. So, you know, he had been a teacher or has been a teacher before, but this is his first year in this district. And, you know, Des Moines Public has been 100 percent remote. And, you know, he's like, how do I do this as a strength and conditioning coach? You know, So that's been that's been crazy. But I just talked to him last week and he said one of the biggest things that he keeps hearing from kids is that their level of motivation and, and commitment is so low because they don't have sport right now and they don't have anything to in their eyes they don't have anything to to train for they like that's their reason for getting up every day like why why am i going to do this school work if i can't play football or if i can't run cross country or wrestle or you know whatever the case is and that's what they're telling him and he's like it's just it's heartbreaking to be able to hear you know those kids but it also shows the importance that that coaches do have and of kind of goes back to our why and the reason why you're doing things and makes it that much more important.
1: Yeah, we expect kids to have this magical intrinsic value that their education is super important. And I think you realize it later in life, but I don't think as a high school kid, you necessarily see it that way. I think back to my own high school um, career, I guess. And I just I know how much getting like you just mentioned, I got up and I went to school so that I made sure I got to school in time for a weights class. And and then I, I baseball after school and workouts and everything that goes into it, like so much of my life was shaped by making sure that I went to school so that I could do baseball. So I think motivation is is a huge thing. And like, like your, your friend had mentioned that that missing piece has been so big. I, I want to ask this question to you because I've asked a few coaches and this kind of seems like a really good time to do it. You've dedicated a huge part of your life to coaching high school sports. Obviously, you've been doing it for a decade or so by now. And then the assistant AD part of it as well. And then the mental performance side, which we'll get into here in a little bit too. Why are high school sports so important? Like if you, let's say, let's put it this way. If you were in front of the school board today and you were making the case for why, you know, the school board should allow sports to continue or should allow workouts to continue or something like that, what would you, what would you argue? What would you, what would you bring to them?
0: You know, I feel like, I feel like athletics and I'm going to say, I'm going to say activities because there are some Like, I'm going to look at show choir, for example. And, you know, before I got into the AD role, I didn't realize how big show choir is. You know, it is the, if we're going to call it a sport, if you will, it's the most participants in our school are in show choir. And those kids are practicing before school, they are practicing after school, um, they have performances. Now, everything is, you know, online and goofy right now, but there is as much dedication in show choir and the amount of time that they put in as, as are in the baseball program or, you know, football, et cetera. And so I think any activities just to give those kids um, a sense of purpose, um, being able to be on a team. And you talked about, you know, I showed up in the morning to lift weights and I was at school to be at baseball practice. You know, not only did you do that, not only did I do that every single day for myself and to get myself better, but I felt like I was letting my teammates down if I were ever to be gone. You know, yes. um, I, I missed one week of practice um, in, in the winter. I was just sick. Like I didn't get out of my bed I missed a basketball game. and I felt so bad. I mean, there's nothing I have no control over it. Right. But it was like I felt like I was letting my teammates down because because I wasn't there. And, you know, just to be able to see some of those lessons that those kids can learn and do learn through activities is is so important because you know we are trying to to teach these kids lifelong lessons and just giving them the opportunity to be a part of a program and understand the dedication that it takes um is is more than than all we could not not every class but more than we can give them the classrooms a lot of times
1: the the activities part is absolutely true here you mentioned show choir here in our district it's it's marching band is the big one and i've gone in to work over the summer quite a few times and they'll be out in the parking lot at when it's you know well over 100 degrees and they're out there all day from morning till till night uh practicing their steps and then adding instruments and then you add on what they're doing before school every day and then after school and uh, Saturdays and Sundays oftentimes too you're right the activities part of it is huge as well and they're also suffering right now in, in a lot of districts where they're maybe not getting access to doing things It's just a funky time it's just a weird time right now and it's 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 so bizarre having so many people from from the same country just in so many different areas experiencing it in such different ways
0: yeah no that's that's exactly right um, you know I, not that so so show choir this summer, they, they wanted to have, you know, workouts, et cetera. And we're like, well, you, if you're going to do that, you know, everybody has to be masked up and et cetera, et cetera, the whole time. Well, you're, you're moving and you're singing and, and dancing and they are masked up the whole time. Like that had been absolutely uncomfortable. Um, it's brutal. It was, yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> I was going to say the brutal. this
1: yeah, it's brutal wearing a mask in the grocery store for half an hour. <laughs> I always feel bad because I'm like, I know the person working here's worn it all day and here I am in my head complaining. And then yeah, to think about doing show choir while wearing a mask, it's just like yeah, the things that kids are going through right now just to to find any way they can to to do the sport or the activity that they love is is pretty amazing.
0: Now, Max, have you guys been in person at all for school?
1: We are 100% remote. We have not set foot in the building as students since March 12th of last year. Well, I guess of this year, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're totally online.
0: We've we've had the option. Now, each school district has local control in Iowa, um, so it's not like a statewide thing. But at least in Indianola, we have had the option for kids to be in person every single day, all day, or be remote. There's no, like, some people, some schools are going... You know, you can come to school Monday and Thursday, um, and the others can come Tuesday, Friday, and then like Wednesday is a remote day or something. Um, but we are like 100% uh, in person, and the the kids, it's just it's just kind of becoming the new norm. Like, oh, we wear a mask when we go in school, and it's been it's been awesome just to see the kids um, compensate and adjust during those. And you know, a lot of people like to dog on on our youth, but I think just the opposite. They are very res- resilient and Um, They're extremely hardworking. And I've had this conversation before, but, you know, do they want instant gratification? They do. Um, And that's fine. Let's, let's, let's work towards that. As a coach, I try to use that as, as a motivator Then you know, if they want to see instant gratification, let's throw a radar gun up and let's see that instant gratification because they will work harder to beat their goals. Um, But, you know, I, 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 don't like it when people kind of dog on the on the youth and and say they're lazy and things. Says so they are absolutely not, and um, that's that's one of the things I absolutely love about about the kids that we're coaching and and working with and getting better.
1: Yeah, I agree. We have we had the opportunity to do workouts with our kids. We just got shut down again, <laughs> but starting in October first, so we got about a month and a half with them. And dude, they just showed up like in droves. Uh, yep, we'll put the mask on, they wear the mask the whole workout, they'll they'll do the distancing thing, they'll they'll disinfect, they'll use hand sanitizer when you ask them to do it. Like they'll follow all the rules, they'll do what they have to do. And it's like, to do what? And I'm like, well, they're at our field, you know, they did a little bit of baseball stuff, but a lot of workout stuff. And it's like the stuff we're doing isn't even necessarily that fun. But here they are showing up working out, trying to get better, trying to prepare for a season that they don't even, you know, there's no guarantee that they even get to have one. And I just it's it's extremely motivating to watch high school kids do that when I you know, you see other parts of of how adults might act (laughs) in our country over a lot of different things and what we complain about. And and then you just see high school kids getting after it with no guarantees of any you know future reward for the work they're putting in now. It's it's really inspiring to see them.
0: Absolutely. You know, in in Iowa, so we, we were able to play baseball and softball starting in June. We had a full fall season, and I think people are more so than other states because we did have that summertime, and it was very successful in the summer, um, which was which was awesome for me as a baseball coach, but we're starting to see numbers go up nationwide, and they're going up in Iowa, and teams are getting shut down, and um, what we're starting to see from parents is kind of the shift from March when it happened. You would hear from parents of, oh, we would do anything for our kid to have the opportunity to play. Well, they were given the opportunity, and now we're coming back to the winter where you assumed—I guess you never know—but you assumed that the spike it would kind of spike back up once once the flu season came, came in, and our, our athletics are now going indoors with basketball and wrestling, and um, so things are going back up. But now you hear parents complaining because. We can't have full seats. You know, each kid only gets two um, tickets, mm-hmm. two vouchers for parents. Right. So there's not going to be a student section and, and people are up in arms because of things are getting restricted again. It's like, Hold on. Let's go back six months when you said you would do anything for your kid just to compete and kind of going off of what you said. I think if you would talk to the kids, you know, if you had two options, plane. Or having no, or having your parents there? Like, which one are you going to pick? Like, oh, we'll play with no fans, you know? Like, in a We're heartbeat. <laughs> um, it's yeah, true. That, that, yeah, we that uh, uh, interesting. Our,
1: our baseball field is, um, like, right up next to a sidewalk. And it's technically city park, like, property that gets leased by the school district and has been forever. And so, anyway, we had our workouts. And I, you know, an email I had to send out to parents. I had to be like, you know, you, you can't come. <laughs> you can drop your kid off and then leave. I was like, the sidewalk is public property, so if you must stand there, you can, but it would look really good for our program and for our school and for our kids if you didn't choose to do that, if you chose to either wait in your car or just drop your kid off and go home, or, or if your kid has a license, just let them go to the workout and be done. And I was shocked. Uh, almost almost no parents showed up, and they they made us look really good, so people driving by wouldn't you know, make phone calls or something and try to rat us out, even though technically parents would be allowed to do it. I was really surprised, but I do see a lot of the things that parents, um, you know, write out on social media or on Facebook and, and things like that. And it's like, yeah, there's, there is this sect of people who maybe claim that they do anything to have their kid get to play high school sports. But then when reality sets in, maybe they, maybe it doesn't ring out to be exactly true.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. All
1: right. So uh, let's dive into the, I want to, I want to talk about the assistant AD part of your job. Um, the baseball coaching part, um, for me, just cause I'm a coach, I could talk, we could dive into baseball and talk for a while, but, uh, I think we should go the, the assistant AD route. So you've been doing that for four years.
0: So this is the third, yep. This is my third, third year. year. Okay.
1: What types of duties do you have? You mentioned you're the kind of the head, uh, middle school AD. What does being an assistant AD and a head middle school AD kind of entail?
0: So we, we have seventh and eighth grade middle school activities and, you know, usually not not usually, but sometimes that's the first opportunity for for these kids to play. But it's also the first time for a lot of the parents to have their kid go through. So uh, so a lot of that would be, you know, setting setting those schedules up, uh, making sure our coaches have everything that they possibly need there. Um, and then once again, a lot of that is, is good communication with parents and making sure people are on the same page Just just because it is a lot of their first times. Um, now, I, I am very lucky um, with on the, on the high school end where a lot of mine is um, supervision and, and helping out the the head AD on uh, wherever that happens to be. You know, there's some nights where we will have, have varsity basketball, varsity wrestling and varsity swimming going on at the same time. And there's there's two of us to, to go around. Um, but where I say I'm kind of lucky is, you know, Lee, the head AD, he he takes care of You know all the disgruntled parents, and he he takes those phone calls and the emails, et cetera. So, you know, I honestly I don't have I don't have that aspect of it. Um, and so so for me, like a lot of it, that high school is the is the supervision and and just kind of helping him, um, honestly wherever he needs needs be, and a lot of that changes every day, which which makes the job, um, you know, fun on on that end. Um, so. The, the, the nice part about um, the supervision is, you know, talked about how, you know, I, this is my first year coaching in Indianola, but I do have somewhat of a re- relationship with a lot of the families um, or kids just because I have, I've seen them, whether it's in a different sport in middle school or, um, you know, been watching them, you know, in, in high school in those activities.
1: Yeah. The supervision part. I know our athletic director and I see how long he's at school day after day. And part of me is like, oh, it's really cool. Like he's getting paid to be at these events. And the other part of me goes, that really sucks, man. That guy has like, he's got like no time off. He's always at the school. Uh, how do you balance your, like, how do you make sure that you're not only being Indianola high school's AD and baseball coach and that you have a life outside of of all that, the things that you're doing? Because it's it's taxing. It's a lot of work.
0: It is. And so one, one of the biggest things that I do are, is is set up routines for myself. And, you know, so for the morning, I, I think what happens with a lot of ADs is I, I see them get fat, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, yes. <laughs> because it is so it's so much time. It is. And it can just become absolutely overwhelming um with, with the amount of time that you are somewhere. So um, you know, I, I've set up routines um, especially in the morning, and I have have a you know a PM routine as well to to help get myself Um, to to sleep and my wife will hate it because I'll crawl into bed and it's not because I'm exhausted sometimes it is but I just have this routine where it's like I get myself into this state where like I'm ready to go to bed (laughs) like I'm just out so I'll lay down I'm out and she's like laying there like what's going on Um, but in the morning um, I wake up and you know I do some meditation so just some breathing exercises um, before I work out Um, I'm actually in, in six days I'm I'm running a hundred mile ultra marathon. And so just kind of setting up some, some different, um, things that I'm working towards as well to make sure that I am staying active and taking care of my body. Um, so I'll do all that stuff, you know, before six 30, you know, I'm usually getting up about four 30. I get all my stuff done before six 30. Uh, and then I'll get breakfast ready for the kids. And then, um, you know, be in the AD, like I don't need to be there right when school starts. So the first bell is at eight. Um, I'm able to drop my my two boys off at school and I drop my daughter off at daycare and I can pull in at 8 fifteen and nobody knows the difference. you know I, I don't need to be there because I'm gonna be there till seven or eight or later anyway <laughs> um, <You're kidding. laughs> so, so so being able to sometimes you know when, when things get really crazy you know sometimes that's the only time I get to see the kids all day so being able to take them there is is important um, honestly i I can't say enough about Lee, the the guy I work with, the head AD, because um, he we, we've had times where we just will work out over lunch as well. And, you know, we'll we'll take an hour and we'll work out and we'll make sure that we're trying to keep ourselves healthy. And then we'll go home and shower and get something quick to eat. And then, you know, come back knowing that we have the rest of the day. So being able to have, um, you know, that flexibility within the day is really nice. But as far as at home, you know, you know how it is as a baseball coach and throw that with with the, the responsibilities. I, I try to, I call it like Superman, right? So Clark Kent goes in as this like everyday guy and then he goes into that phone booth and he comes out as Superman and he's able to do all these things. Well, I try to do that when I get home. So when I pull into the um, garage, you know, if I'm on the phone, I'll stay in the garage and finish my phone call. Uh, but I I leave work at home. I don't bring my computer home, my work computer home. I I don't do any of those things because once I get into the into the house, I am now dad. Like I am one hundred percent dad. And you know maybe that means I showed up at seven fifteen and my wife's in the process of getting one of the kids to bed. All right, let's hop in and get your teeth brushed, and I'll read you books before bed, and you know help out any way that I possibly can there. So um, and then at that point, you know it's what laundry can I do or, or dishes or do you simply want to just like watch a show or what the is? But, you know, that's, that's kind of in my mind, I think about it as kind of being that Superman of, okay, I need to be 100% all in on my family anytime that I possibly get, because um, you, you just don't know how much of that day you can get.
1: Yeah. There was a tweet yesterday that uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's an assistant football coach for Michigan state. And the tweet was something along the lines, if we just beat the number eight team in the country, had an awesome celebration. And then I got home and my dog had a turd stuck in his butt and I had to help him get it out. <laughs> and it was, you know, it's it basically him telling us like, it doesn't matter what you do once you get home, like you're home and all your home responsibilities are still there. They don't go away. Like your dog isn't going to you know care if you win a state title or something like that. Your kids might think it's cool for half a second and then they're ready to read a book or something like that. Right. And so I, what, what you said is something I've heard a lot of coaches say in, in various ways, but I think it, it's kind of boiled down to the idea of, uh, again, the, that idea of being where your feet are, right? Being present in whatever role it is that you're supposed to be present in at the time. I love the idea of not taking your computer home. I really like the idea of finishing the phone call in the car. I know that just thinking of myself, I've had people call me on the way home about baseball things. And I'll be, you know, I'll be like, oh, I need to get inside the, in the, the house. And so I'll still be on the phone you know, carrying my bag, like getting out of the car, coming to the door. You know, people are, you know, their wife's excited to see me. My kid's excited to see me and I'm on the phone. And I love that idea of just take care of that in the garage, be done with it, go to the house totally present.
0: Yeah, 100%. That's, that's been really beneficial uh, for me uh, to be able to do that. You know, you talk about, you know, that the kids like state championships and things. And, you know, when I was first an assistant, I was, I was very lucky um, I was an assistant at Martinsdale St. Mary's and you know the first year we finished like uh, 23 and 11 or something well the next year we had um, a really good group of sophomores like really good group of sophomores and but then we also had a couple of juniors who were just next level and we went off and, and we won 43 games in a row you know 43 and all win a state title and I remember like we won a title and it, I don't, I don't know what I thought it would feel like, <laughs> but, but it was just like, Oh, I'm like, okay, that happened. You know, it was like, okay, that was cool for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And then it was, you know, similar to what you hear, like Bellatrack and Saban. It's like, all right, on to, on to next year, or like on to the next game, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. Let's start thinking about, you know, how can we do this again? And um, you know, at that point, so I was, I was now 21 year old assistant coach and won a state title and, you know, now I'm like, hey, I can I can do this like this was easy. Um, so I actually had uh, had a, another school reach out um, and asked me to interview for their head coaching job. And I, I ended up taking that. Well, Martinsdale goes on to win the next year. They go 44 and 0. So they're now 87 and 0 had set a national record. And, and it was kind of the same thing, you know, talking back with some of the players. Um, that I still have good relationships. With, they were like uh like okay that was cool but it was just such a small period of time that they the the whole process is is where they loved right and they um they they just loved being a part of being being a part of it being a part of their their team and just the constant work and knowing what it took in the offseason to to get them to that point was more rewarding than just like winning a title
1: yeah one of the coaches that i've i've I'm pretty good friends with here in oregon he's his name's ryan starwald he coaches at crescent valley high school he once explained to me this idea you know the feeling of winning it's a really fleeting feeling and he it turned, and this is kind of early in my coaching days and then i became head coach we won a little bit and uh it's so true like you win a game it feels really good like it feels great like don't get me wrong love winning but then yeah it's just like maybe it lasts a few minutes maybe it even lasts a full day if you're lucky and then the feeling is kind of gone and you're like, okay, well, now what, right? And so I've heard you talk about process. I mentioned, or you mentioned earlier, meditation, breathing, routines. Um, without saying it, you kind of mentioned the idea of being present. And all this, I think, all probably ties into your work as a mental performance coach. Can you go into what a mental performance coach is for those who may not know? And then kind of how you became one?
0: Yeah, so mental performance is, is having this understanding of of knowing that the game there's there's kind of a game within a game right and you know we we think about it being you know a lot of a lot of guys are are very good with the physical uh, aspects of it Um, a lot of guys are very good with like the fundamental aspects of said sport but a lot of people are missing that mental piece of of it and you know i think most people that you would talk to, they would say that you know that's the most important part. But they just don't know how to or what to um, kind of focus on. And, and how do we how do we play present? How do we get ourselves um, to be where our feet are? I know you mentioned that earlier, but to be able to play in the present moment and not allow anything else to um, to affect us. So you know, I got started within this, and you know, I said I was very lucky to to be an assistant coach. So 20 years old, I'm an assistant high school coach. And, and then I'm 21 and we win a state title. Well, the guy that I was able to coach under, uh, his name was Justin Deemer, And he ended up making a, a program called One Pitch Warrior. And I remember the first time that I met with him to be a, a coach, you know, he started talking about, you know, his philosophies and, and things that we're going to be doing. And he starts talking the mental game, And it just completely blew me away, like completely blew me away. And I was like, wow, like keep talking because I am now a junior in college and in high school and college, nobody had ever talked the mental game to me, you know, nothing at all. So he's talking about this and it is completely blowing me away. I'm like, this is awesome. And he was like, yeah, this is this is all um, stuff by by the by a guy by the name of Brian Kane. And yeah, I start finding everything about Brian Kane. Right. And I am reading everything that I possibly can. Um, so then I do become a head coach at, at the age of 22. And um, and that's where I started implementing. You know, I went to another high school um, in Iowa who. It, it needed a culture shift 100 um, percent. You know, when I started talking in the first parent meeting. I was like, OK, we're going to be clean shaven. We're going to have clean haircuts you know, you will wear a blue shirt and baseball pants at practice. And, you know, some of the looks on the kids faces were like, like, are you serious? You know? And the parents were like, this is awesome. Like you're going to make him get a haircut, (laughs) you know? And, and I kid you not after that meeting, I had a couple of the seniors come up to me and were like, uh, we have to wear a blue t-shirt. And I was like, yes. And they're like, during batting practice, I'm thinking, uh, yeah. And they're like, Oh, well come to find out they were wearing, like, they weren't, they wouldn't wear shirts. they would wearing tank tops and some of these things. And I'm thinking like, we just, like just needed to overhaul this culture and, and, you know, having this somewhat of a background, right. A couple of years of, um, learning from Justin Deemer, and then reading all of Brian Kane's stuff. And then I heard Brian talk at, you know, a couple of, of coaching clinics. And once again, I was like, it was most certainly like a fire hydrant. I'm trying to like absorb as much as I possibly can, but I'm missing more than I could possibly write. And, uh, but it was awesome, you know, just being able to get to that. And um, so I take over as, as a young coach and it's like, you know, this is this is what I need to do. I need to be able to develop this culture the way I feel like it should be. And and know like, you know, I was just at a program that won a title and I know that this works. Um, and just try to be able to, to make that mine. So I was able to do that for two years and, you know, we went from a program that was below, there were 15 and 16 before I took them over. We went to 34 uh, and nine and we lost to the number one ranked team in the States in the bottom of the seventh. you know, for a chance to go to state with, with a bunch of freshmen, you know? So um, which was really awesome. And, and I knew that that program that I was at at the time had a, had a great future. Um, but then Justin resigned at Martinsdale St. Mary's And, you know, that drive is about 15 minutes for me. And the place I was at was 35 minutes one way. (laughs) So I was like, you know, talking about family time, you know how it is when we're we're making that drive from January until August, uh, if not longer. So I go back to Martinsdale and they were fresh off their now third straight state title. Um, So really stepping into, okay, now the the culture that I created at this other school, now I just need to to continue the one that was already established. You know, that, that's ex- I kind of feel like I'm in the exact same boat here at Indianola. What I what I the first thing that we're going to do and the first thing we're going to establish is this culture um, within within. And um, one of the ways that we do this is is through something called the performance pathway. And the performance pathway starts with, it goes like this, the leadership drives the culture, culture drives behavior, and behavior gets your results. And then it can go back the other way. The results that you get drive your behavior, your behavior drives your culture, and your culture gets your leadership. So I feel like starting over at a new school, um, definitely one of the first things that we're going to do with the kids, and this is something I've started with. is we want to take our leadership from from coach-fed leadership to player-led leadership, right? We want that accountability um, and that clarity and the support to get those results. We want the players to be in charge of that leadership. Now, that might not happen my first year. It might not happen my second, but we will get to that point where it is player-led. And that's what made it very difficult to leave Martinsville. Um, We had been, the program had been to state nine out of 10 years. I had, when I was coaching, our teams um, were there six out of seven years. And, you know, that we were, we were there, you know, it was 100% player led leadership. Um, That was one of the benefits of, of coaching those kids for five years. They understood um, what was expected of them? They understood the processes that we had in place, and they were the ones that would police themselves. Now, were there times when we needed to? Absolutely, but I also know that that was a a ten to twelve year process to get to that point. Um, so I know we're kind of starting over uh, coaching here. So, but once you get that that leadership set up in the way that you want, that leadership, whether it's from coach fed to start. Um, Will help start the culture um, that we want to have, and we go through a an, an MVP process, which I stole from Brian Kane. And I'll get into him in a, in a little bit, but the MVP process uh, for our culture is our mission, our vision, and our core principles. And so our mission is is very very brief and very simple is simply excellence on and off the field, and. Uh, the vision is is working from right here, right now, to preparing them for success in life. So what, what can we do on this first thing? Think about this as like stair steps. So we go from, we're going to push the rock the next 200 feet. We want to go 1-0 and today on the next. Then we want to win conference. And we're going all these up. And state championship is not the top part of this, these stair steps, right? We go state championship. We want them to graduate from Indianola. And then we want to prepare them for success in life. And, you know, once again, just going back to, you know, winning state championships, winning conference championships, those, those are awesome. And, you know, wouldn't trade those experiences for anything, but they are most certainly fleeting and being able to prepare a kid for success in life by teaching them, you know, some of these mental game aspects is, is, you know, the reason I coach, um, you know, if they have success and if we have success. That is just a byproduct of doing all those little things the right way. Um, and then we established core principles. And so core principles, think about these as like core values or words. Um, you know, and I, I've gone through this process with a number of colleges that I work for or work with. And um, if we think about the word, the words are OK, but it's with the definition that you put with the, these words that are, that are where the money is at. And the the example I give is, let's pick family, right? So Max, let's say you use the word family and family for you is the reason that you don't get in trouble in the first place, right? And family for me is a group of people that I go to when I get into trouble, right? So family is the word, but we both have two different different definitions of what those mean. So having a clear definition of what you have Um for these core principles of the team is is very important. And then making sure that the players understand what those are, right? So our core principles are Pete. So I've had this where like this is these are my four words and and these these won't change. You know, kids kids will change and will come through, but this process is going to be who I am and what this program is. I've worked with programs, um, I've worked with a basketball program, and he had the same thing. He had his words, and that's where he wanted. I've worked with the college baseball program, and they just really didn't have much set up. And the kids, like went, we went, took them through the process of developing their own core principles. So I mean, either way is very beneficial. But for us, we have so process, enthusiasm, trust, and excellence. So defining those, we have the process. For us, not everybody, right, it could mean something different, but process means what you consistently do on a daily basis to give you the best chance for success, right? So that's going to be one of our core principles. And then once we get into that process, like, what does that look like? Well, one of the things that we really, really work on are routines, right? What can we do on a consistently basis to give us the best chance for success, is having routines i talked about my personal like am and pm routines but we go in and uh, we have routines for you know for batting we have routines for hitting we have a a base running routine we practice and we have a routine for how do you strike out Um, we'll have a a green light routine at the plate and a red light routine at the plate Um, we'll go through our routines through shadow bullpens Um, you know, and a guy, like maybe we have a live guy on the mound and we have a shadow bullpen next to them working their routines. We'll have, you know, batting routines off to the side when somebody else is going live and, you know, really establishing those routines because those routines are going to create consistency and comfort for our players. And the best part about that is, is, you know, regardless if we're playing the worst team in the conference, we're playing at Principal Park, the Iowa Cubs, you know, AAA stadium. That's where we play our state tournament. If we're playing at Principal Park, you know, for the state championship, you have that same routine to be able to go to. Um, But once again, we're going to have this definition so that the kids understand what process means. Um, Our first E is enthusiasm, so that is the energy, effort, and attitude um, for that process. Um, And then we have trust. We need to be able to trust yourself, your coaches, and your teammates, and your preparation, and and knowing that, especially that preparation. Knowing that like that's where that's one of the places where confidence can come from is knowing that you put in that that preparation and you put in the work to be the best that you can possibly be. Um, and then our last E is excellence. So just working to be the best that you can be once again on and off the field. Right. Our mission is excellence on and off the field. That is also one of our one of our core principles. So, um, you know, I, I just this last week, I started having conversations with some of our players of their grades. And, you know, once again, I've only had a couple of conversations with these kids uh, in particular, but like, guys, you can't wait till January 15th to, to get these get these grades up. You know, we need to start, you know, setting things up now. And if we need study tables and uh, making sure that they know the importance of, of those. Um, so that was that's that culture. Right. So being able to create that MVP process within our culture. So we have leadership drives culture. That culture and having them understand the expectations that um, that are set in place for them, the way that they should be playing the game, the way should, that they should be um, treating school and, and everything else off the field, those cultures are going to ultimately get the behaviors that you want. And in Urban Meyer's book, Above the Line, he talks about was that above the line or was that below the line behavior? And that's really what we talk about um, within our behavior. And we'll go through. Um, our culture, will go through Pete, right? And um, so here's our process. You know, what does that look like to be above the line? And what does that look like to be below the line? And that's just a simple question that I ask kids is, you know, you you were two minutes late for practice. Okay. Is that above the line or below the line? That's below the line. All right. Well, what are we going to do about this? You know, and, um, they they know like they know exactly what it is and they probably get sick of of that question of you know is that a lip line is that a below line, line but but that's exactly what it is you know and that behavior um, that that we are going to get is going to come from that culture that we have set in place and then ultimately if we do those things the results what will happen and that's once again that's the process I'm at is starting that that first flow but as I talked about that's going to come back and. Once you start getting the results, and this is where I was at at Martinsdale, is, you know, we go to state nine out of 10 years, and we're winning 35 plus games every year. And, and you know, having this winning conference every year, having this success, well, now the kids understand that the results, right? Okay, The results are here. The kids, whether they're eighth graders or freshmen, they're completely bought into the program because they see the success that's there. Okay, whatever they're doing is working, right? So then they take a look at the results. Well, what behaviors do we need to be able to do? And this, is, and this is where those seniors come into place, right? They're watching, they're like the behaviors. Wow, these kids are sprinting everywhere. They have their blue shirt and baseball pants and baseball hat for practice. You know, they are, they know the little things like how to clean up the field, how to take care of the field, how to tear down the batting cage, where it needs to go. Um, you know, they know some of those little behaviors, whether it is on or off the field once those behaviors, it goes back to the culture, right? The culture just continues to grow and get better as long as it's aligned with that process that you have in place. And then ultimately we go back to leadership, which now you are player-led leadership. So, you know, as a young coach, I think if there's one thing I could kind of say to young coaches would be, this isn't this isn't an easy process. It's going to take multiple years to be able to get through that full cycle, but Start with coach fed leadership, show them what you want out of them, establish that culture that you want to have in place, reinforce the behaviors, um, have that understanding, talk with the kids about what it does mean to be above the line, below the line. And then those results will come because of that. And then once they do, you're going to be a well-oiled machine because it's going to, that cycle will just continue to go back and through and through. Um, And, you know, coming into this year, I will be 100% um, all in on the seniors, you know, and, and below. But I really want to have my hand. I talked about earlier. I really want to have my hand on those freshmen because that's where this culture is going to be able to, to start from, you know, freshmen, sophomore, juniors this year, while making this the best experience possible for the seniors.
1: So much gold. I, I, my, my hand is tired from <laughs> trying to write things down. I think what's what's really important. One of the big things I got out of that is is I, I think every coach, I think you'd have a hard time finding one who wouldn't agree with this. I think every coach wants a really strong culture. They want their kids getting really good grades. Um, they want mentally, you know, mentally tough athletes. They want their players to be leaders. They want they want their seniors to kind of model what they they want everybody else in their program to do. But I think a lot of times there's like this there's like this disconnect of like, here's my vision. Here's what I want my team to be like three, four years from now, when someone comes and watches us play, they're going to see these things uh, play out among our team. Or if they come and watch us practice, they'll see these things. But I think there's a really huge disconnect between getting to that and really understanding what gets you to that. And I think I go back to like, after practices, some days, especially when I was an a, a assistant coach, and I really hadn't taken the time to work through this thought process before. I think back to like, look, oh, you, you don't have good grades. Well, let, come on, get your grades up. Let's go. And like, that would be the, okay, now you're going to go home and get good grades, right? Because I just told you, you should get good grades. And it doesn't, it doesn't play out like that. You should be a good leader. Come on, be a good, you know, or come on, be mentally strong, be tougher. And just saying that to somebody, an adult, let alone a high school kid, that's not going to do anything. And so I think there's this huge disconnect that some people have of like, here's my vision. Here's where I am now. How, how, how do I find a runway to get there? Right. How do I get to that point? You mentioned Brian Kane quite a bit, and he's an amazing resource for anyone who hasn't taken the time to look into him. But the stuff you're saying, isn't like, it's not prophetic. It's not like going to blow your mind necessarily. It's, it's, when you think about it, it's really, really simple stuff. It's just a matter of, like you said, it's taking the time to sit down and work through this and be committed to your own process to getting there, which like you said, could take years and being like totally committed to it. And I think another thing too is being able to adjust and realize when things aren't going well, that it's okay to press the pause button, stop it and, and reteach it or, or maybe even address the core principle that you thought you should have. Maybe, maybe the core principle I was really looking for was something else. And then, gosh, when you mention the definitions of things, I think that's incredibly important. I, I know a lot of programs will have like their standards or uh, maybe their their principles or their pillars, uh, whatever they want to call them, but they don't take the time to explain them. And I'll, you know, you'll put family on the back of a t shirt and say family after practice. Okay, what does that mean? And like you said, for some kids, that that might have a negative connotation to it. And so, I think the work you're doing is really important. Like it's 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 connecting the two pieces. It's connecting the vision to where you are now and how you, how you managed to get from one to the other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and once again, as you said, it's, it's keeping that dedication to that process, if you will, to that performance pathway of, of having that understanding. And, you know, one of the colleges I worked with, you're exactly right. I asked them just kind of when my first couple of conversations with them was, you know, what, what, what is your mission statement? And their coach like started fumbling through his computer to, to find it. Right. And he was like, Oh yeah, it's right here. And I was like, oh, OK, can you like like close off the computer? Like, can you tell me what it is? Um, well, you know, obviously the kids don't have an understanding if, if that's the if that's the case. And, you know, so a lot of a lot of programs will just, you know, put something on the back of a T-shirt or just put it up on the on the wall. But, you know, having something I'm not going to say simple, um, but having something that the kids uh, completely understand and and can rattle back off to you. Um, is very very important and you know I, we, we had one year where there's weather coming through and our state tournament is at principal park and the iowa cubs are supposed to play at like a 705 game and the state is telling us the first game is in a weather delay it also went like three and a half hours it goes extra innings well we're the second game and the state's coming to us and it's like yeah i don't I don't know if you're going to get a chance to play at Principal Park. I think we're going to move move you, move you over to a high school field for your game. And I just get the guys together, and I'm like, guys, what can we control? And they're like, oh, we can control our ape, you know, so our attitude, our perspective, our effort. You know, there's other other things you put in there. And I almost got to a point where I'm like, oh come on, coach. And I'm like, all right, you're exactly right. There's a lot of things we don't have control over, and one of them is. We might get moved to another field. And they were just like, all right, you know, it is what it is, you know. So, you know, having that in place um, is 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 vital to to any program.
1: One of the things you said struck a chord with uh, a guest I had, I think it was episode seven, his name's Eric Detman, he's the head track and field and cross country coach at Lincoln High School in Portland, Oregon. And he mentioned to me that at one point, he had the, he has these kind of mantras and sayings in his program, and they really live by them. And it's a day, you know, it's a, like you're mentioning, it's a daily process, daily commitment to them. And he it was in the last year or two, and he had you know mentioned one of them to one of those athletes, and they're like, yeah, and all the seniors are kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. And his first reaction was like, oh, my gosh, like, are, is this not good? Like, and then he realized later he had spoken with the more like a, a more veteran coach who said he said, one of the things is when your culture has kind of made it, your players will start to it almost feel boring when you have these mantras and sayings, if your players believe in them so much. And like you mentioned, the you know, are you above the line or the below, below the line? That question, when it gets to the point where it's like you, you ask it so many times, and the players expect it like that's when your culture is really starting to turn and become a good positive driving force. Um, It's easy to do it when these sayings are new and fresh and exciting. But if you can stay committed to it, and if the reactions are like, seemingly bored high school kids who are like, yeah, we know you're eight. Okay, we we know control, you can control. Like that's when your culture is actually making it like that's the time to keep pressing on like you're doing it. Good work's happening right now. Even though it seems like oh, I'm boring my players like they're, this is they're rolling their eyes. No, they're doing it because they they live it like day in and day out. Like they know your culture and they know the culture. It's a good thing.
0: Absolutely, I I could p- completely relate to to that. That's that's really funny. But but yeah, he's exactly right. You're exactly right. Of just being able to get to that point is is very beneficial. And um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to to being able to do that here.
1: I know you work with, with colleges and high schools. Is there, if, if anyone happened to be interested in, in contacting you, is there, is there a, a way they could get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm to give a couple of different ways. Um, one is at coachfitzpatrick.com. Um, I'll actually give my phone number for anybody that would want to call. Um, that would be completely fine. Uh, so my Go phone number it. is 515 uh, 339. Five four nine zero, and then on Twitter uh, it's Fitzpatrick underscore mp. Uh, so at Fitzpatrick underscore mp.
1: Awesome. I'll put those in the show notes too. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, it's really important work. And if 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 you're a coach and you haven't really sat down to take the time, maybe even over years to to really put a culture in place that you want to last. Over the long run. Right. We could put a culture in that lasts for one year and then you can move on to a new coaching job. And okay, great. But if you want something to last, you really like it's really important work that you you find the time to sit down and you really write out what it is that you want out of your program, what you want those long term goals to be, because you're going to be there far, far longer than any of your athletes are going to be there. And like you mentioned, if if the end goal is just to win a state title, we're not doing good enough for our kids, right? There needs to be something beyond that. So you mentioned graduate. Oh, just graduating is not enough, right? There needs to be more after that too. And so um, I think taking the time to write this stuff out is, and, and then to live it afterwards is really important work. So um, if if anyone hasn't checked out Brian Kane yet, I'll I'll be I'll plug him as well. Like it's. Maybe life changing, but certainly program changing. If if you're not installing it into your own life, sort of the things that you learn, John, I appreciate having you on. I want to give you a chance. If there's any like parting thoughts, anything maybe we missed that you think would be valuable for coaches or anything otherwise that you might want to share.
0: No, I just appreciate uh, you having me on. Uh, if anybody has any questions at all that they would want to reach out to me, uh, feel free. I love just talking. Whether it's baseball, talking mental game, um, you know, I, I love I love how baseball coaches are. Are so willing to help out. I don't think that happens in many other sports. Well, um, so always willing to to talk shop about anything. And once again, Max, I appreciate you having me on, and and love the podcast.
1: Absolutely, John. Thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Good luck this year as you take over at the at the new program, and hopefully, you guys get to have your season. You're you were the model last year, so I'm pretty sure I, I have if I have faith in any high school sport in the country, it's Iowa baseball.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the high school coaches club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at HS coaches club coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes too. So, uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, If you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, If you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at MrMaxPrice. Uh, so, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so, thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.